right, Genesis 39, 1 through 6, title of this message is, What Do You See? Uh, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and, the, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. And so it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Why did he bless his house? Because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, Potiphar had, in the house and in the field because of Joseph. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So let me give you a little background here. Uh, Joseph is a child of Jacob. Remember Jacob and Esau. Uh, Esau was the older. Jacob was the younger. God blessed the younger. Uh, Jacob had uh, twelve, and eventually had 12 sons, and one of them was by the name uh, of Joseph. Joseph was the son of a, uh, uh, the wife that he um, actually was going to marry first, Rachel, until he was deceived and had to marry Leah first. I can't imagine what uh, those nights were like uh, whenever they got together around the table. You did this to me. Anyway, Joseph is uh, the fruit of uh, the relationship between Jacob and Rachel. Joseph is hated by his brothers because of the favor that his father has shown him in his young life. And in Joseph, in my opinion, if you've read the story, doesn't help the situation by, I believe, he was taunting his brothers with uh, the dreams and the interpretations that God had given him. And as a result, when the opportunity availed itself, Joseph's, Joseph's brothers decided to rid themselves of him and eventually, instead of killing him, they decided to sell him to some traders who took him down to Egypt where he was sold to be a slave. In our text, we find that Joseph is purchased by a man named Potiphar who happened to be uh, the captain of the Egyptian guard. So he was no small official. He was one of the uh, uh, major officials in the land. And Potiphar eventually put him in charge of his household. Why? Because Potiphar saw something on Joseph. He saw something on Joseph's life, which is the point of the message today. Joseph became a blessing to Potiphar because Potiphar saw something on his life, and because of what he saw, he acted in agreement with what he saw, and Joseph therefore became a blessing to Potiphar and his household. And not only that, we're going to find that Joseph became a blessing to the whole nation of Egypt as well, because the whole nation of Egypt saw something on Joseph as well. Joseph was a thorn to his brothers because of what they saw in him. Uh, he was a blessing to Potiphar because of what he saw in him. Hence the title of this message, What Do You See? What do you see? First thing we want to we look at is what does God say about Joseph? In other words, we know that God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so when God says something, it is. And it says about Joseph, this is what the Lord says in his word. It says in Genesis 39 and 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. In Genesis 45, 7 through 8, the Bible says, God sent me, this is Joseph talking, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So what we see is that God's uh, blessings were on Joseph. God was with Joseph. Joseph had a divine commission from God to deliver his brothers. And what we're going to see is the nation of Israel from a great deliverance that was needed because of a great famine that was coming their way. The Bible states that God was with him, and in the second verse we read, it states that God sent Joseph. Uh, what, what was, uh, he, was, he sent him to, to deliver uh, uh, people from what? A great famine. This was God's perspective on Joseph and who Joseph was. And with that in mind, now I want to look at how the rest of the people in the story of Joseph and the Israelites, how the rest of the people in Joseph's, Joseph's life perceived him. What did they see when they looked at Joseph? First thing we want to look at is jo uh, Joseph's father, Jacob. What does Jacob see? In Genesis 37 and 3, the Bible says Israel, which is another name for Jacob, same person, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. So the first person we're looking at here is Jacob's father. And what does Jacob see in Joseph? The Bible says that Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his other children, not because he was a better person, but because he was the child of his old age. So what does that mean? As I said before, uh, um, Jacob had two wives, Leah, who was Rachel's older sister, and Rachel, who was her younger sister. Yes, married sisters. A lot of this happened a long time ago. Um, but anyway, that's what happened. Leah was very fruitful, uh, had a lot of children. Rachel couldn't have children for the longest time. Finally, she had a child by the name of Joseph. And so Rachel was really the woman that Jacob wanted to marry. And so he had a special place in Jacob's heart as he began this relationship. And so because Rachel took so long for her to have kids, jo Joseph became one of the last children that he was able to have. And so he had a special place in his heart for Joseph. Uh, so what does that mean for us? Well, Genesis 37, 12 through 14, his brothers went to feed their father's flock in, Je in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And so he said to him, Here I am. And he said, Go and see if it's well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. And so he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. So not only did Jacob love uh, Joseph, but he saw something else in Joseph's life. What he saw was the favor of God on Joseph and understood that Joseph had uh, something on his life that enabled him to be trusted with responsibility, something that unfortunately none of his other brothers, Jacob, saw on their lives. He was a person to be trusted, thus endowing him with a multicolored robe and sending him or charging him with the responsibility to bring a trustworthy report of what his brothers were doing. Now, I don't know, I, I grew up in a family. I was, uh, happened to be the oldest in my family, and then I had two brothers and a sister. And one of the things that I've noticed is, and this is just my perception, uh, there's no, I don't know if there's any kind of scientific data about that, but almost every family, if you have multiple children in your family, it's not always the oldest. It, tan it can be the oldest. Most frequently, it is the oldest. But what you will find, someone in that family has what I call the responsibility gene. What does that mean? They're the ones that take responsibility for all the other kids. The other kids couldn't care less, 
right? Uh, they, they couldn't care any. I'm having fun. Don't bother me. I don't care what mom and dad say. I don't care about any of this kind of stuff. But there's always one kid in that family that, don't do that. Don't get too close there. I'm going to tell mom and dad, you better stop doing that. You better act right. There's always one child in the family that has that responsibility gene, per se. And I believe that's what Jacob saw on Joseph's life. He was the one that he could trust to take care of everything else that was going on. He was the one that he could talk to and say, tell me what's really going on. And of course, the one that's responsible and has a little bit more integrity. I'm not saying the other kids don't have integrity. They just haven't grown into it yet. Some of them have to be taught integrity. Some of them just have it, and some of them, ha it has to be, uh, uh, um, what's the right word? I was going to say beat into them, but I'm, this is streaming. This is streaming, and so we don't want anybody to think that we uh, mistreat our children. Uh, but we do believe train up a child in the way he should go, and the end shall not depart from them. There's a reason you have to train them. And by the way, let me just go off on a tangent here. It doesn't say teach them. It doesn't say time out them. It says train them. I'm not opposed to time out, but uh, I was listening to somebody, somebody on the Internet. They were making fun. For some kids today, time out is actually a reward. You need a timeout. Take your iPad and your phone and go to your room. <laughs> I don't know. If I was growing up and that was my, uh, that was my punishment, I think I would have hit my brother a lot sooner than I did. Because I like going to my room. I like, you know, playing video games. I like doing all that kind of stuff, you know. But we're supposed to train up a child. And one of the things that we learned from Brother Leon was there's a difference between teaching and training. Teaching is when you impart information. Training is that you make sure that they got it. Right? What's the point of correction? It's not to punish them. It's to make sure that they understand right behavior. Right? If they understand right behavior, you may not need to correct them. If they understood they did something wrong and they're willing to change, you might not necessarily have to correct them. But if they don't understand, you've got to bring correction into their life. Well, anyway, let's get back to where we were at. Took off on a rabbit trail. Let's see if we can get back to, 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 to our text here this morning. Jacob saw something special about Joseph, which enabled him to entrust him with responsibility of taking care of the brothers and what was going on there. So now we see what God said about Joseph. We see what Jacob sees in Joseph. Now we want to look at what do the brothers see. Genesis 37, 4 through 8. When his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. Now this is my opinion it doesn't really say it. You kind of got to read into the text. But I think Joseph is kind of taunting his brothers a little bit with the dream that he had. And if you all have kids, you know that sometimes a kid will go, I got something and you didn't. Nah, 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 nah. That's, I think, what Joseph is doing. Yes, he's responsible, but it doesn't mean he's mature yet. Sometimes you can be responsible, but you've got to mature as you grow into the responsibility that is being placed on you. You understand what I'm saying? You can have a lot of giftings in life. God can bless you with giftings. But if you don't grow in your character, those giftings and the anointing on your life will actually crush you. God gives good gifts. He gives anointings to people. But in order to be able to sustain that, we have to have character developed in our life. 
and Joseph had giftings. He had responsibility, the ability to take responsibility for things, but he also had dreams and visions that God gifted with him with. But what we're going to find is a lot of what we went, he went through is developing the character in his life to not only handle the giftings that he had responsibly, but also to take that position that was going to be given him of responsibility, not just over his brothers, but over all of Egypt and over all Israel's household, to be able to use that in a way that brought great blessings to the people that were under his care. Right? So anyway, Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. They were binding, uh, there, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. Now listen, one of the things you're going to find about Joseph is Joseph didn't have just the gift of dreaming dreams, but he also had the gift of the interpretation of dreams. So even though uh, it doesn't say it here, I believe he shared the dream and the interpretation. Why? Because his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? So Joseph must have shared the interpretation of the dream. Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And because of what he was doing, because of what he said, even though what he said would prove to be correct, sometimes you can say the right thing the wrong way. Right? I had to learn that. I'm still learning that over the process of my ministry. I was always a believer in speaking truth. I love to speak the truth. It's what God put on my heart. God never corrected me for that. He loves for that, the idea that I speak truth. But the Bible doesn't say love to speak the truth. It says speak the truth in love. You can learn how to speak truth in a way that doesn't necessarily pierce people in a negative way, the Word of God will do that on its own. But you can speak the truth and do it in love in such a way where they understand truth's not going to change, but the person behind the truth loves me. Right? And I want you to know that sometimes we need to understand as people is that the best thing you can do to help people is, yes, tell them the truth, but don't just tell them the truth, do it out of, heart of, out of a heart of love. Sometimes we, we're a Pentecostal church. If you, those of y'all that are risen here today, we are a Pentecostal church. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that God blesses us with different giftings as, as the Holy Spirit wills. But one of the things that we often uh, uh, mess up with with the giftings is when God shows us something, we don't always uh, function in that gifting with a heart of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 uh, uh, are couched in between. They, they're sandwiches to that in between chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is love. What good is it to have prophetic gifts if you don't have love? Right? So, what is that trying to say to us? What's it trying to teach us? If you have a gift of discernment, it should flow through a heart of love. If it throws, flows through a heart of suspicion or jealousy, it's going to create damage, it's not going to create healing. Now, it doesn't mean that the gifting doesn't work in your life. What it means is that we got to grow as people so that when the gifting does work, it's filtered through love. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, anyway, took off on another rabbit trail. Let me get back. So the brothers did not see the favor of God on Joseph's life. In, instead, what they saw was favoritism. And it was expressed by their father, that's what they saw, and they thereby saw Joseph as a person not to be trusted, but a person to be resisted. 
And in fact, they interpreted as Joseph was somebody not only to be resisted, but somebody that they hated. As a result, they didn't treat him with favor, but they instead sought to get rid of him by killing him. Genesis 37, 18 through 20. Now when they saw him afar off, Joseph coming to check on them, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. What shall we, uh, we shall see what will happen, what will become of his dreams. Now what you're going to see here in a minute is they didn't kill him, but it doesn't mean that that wasn't in their heart. And one of the things that we need to understand as people is that if you have a fence or you carry uh, something in your heart towards somebody, you may not necessarily want to kill them, but you may want what's not best for them. And without realizing it, because the Bible says out of the heart the mouth speaks, without realizing it, you may actually do things uh, to cause someone else's downfall or demise because of what's going on in your heart. That is why it's so necessary that we deal with the jealousies, the envies, the suspicions, the unforgiveness, the hatred that we, and I'm talking to Christians, I'm not talking to the world, of course they've got to deal with that as well, I'm talking to Christians. Because these tend to be the sins that we accept, that we gloss over that we look over and that's why because we don't deal with them that's why we have rifts in families rifts in marriages rifts in churches that's why they divide they don't divide because someone doesn't wants one color and someone wants another color they divide because of what's in their heart you understand what I'm saying because they don't love one another true love forgives if we really considered each and every one of us as family, we're not necessarily blood-related by natural blood, but we are blood-related by Jesus' blood. The Spirit of God lives inside of each and every one of us. And if we understand that every person that is born again is our brother and sister in Christ, right? Not just uh, somebody that I go to church with. Not just somebody that I'm, in, I'm a part of the organization with them, or not just somebody that I go to a theater with. Right? They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. If you really understood that, we have problems within our own families. Every family has problems. We just don't talk about it. Now, some people talk about it all the time. <laughs> some people, you've been instructed, don't talk about what happens in our family. Right? But everybody has problems in their family. We all have issues in our family. That's just the way it is. But one of the things that we do because we're natural blood is we tend to overlook or we tend to forgive much quicker with natural blood than we do with people that aren't. Right? We don't say, I don't like you anymore because you talk to me like that. You know, when kids turn 13 and 14, they, they just develop this mouth. They develop this attitude you know it's like I need you otherwise I would that's I would just get rid of you but I got to tolerate you right now because I really like it when you make my supper but if it wasn't for that I'd be gone right what does one guy say it's a one teenage vocabulary is, <laughs> you talk to him that's what they say right whatever Tell it to the hand. 
And in Mexican culture, we say, I'm going to tell it to the chancla. You do that again. <laughs> but anyway, with natural family, listen, I, I've been through that. My girls are 26 and 23, and we don't think the same. We don't agree about everything, right? But I love them. I didn't kick them out of my family. I didn't tell them to go some, to, to some other family, go some other church. No, we work to overcome, to forgive, to do what we got to do to maintain relationship because we're blood. If we understood that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're actually closer than blood relationship, we would do the same. That's why the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. But so many people, what they do today is if I have a problem in this church, I have a problem with that person, I just go to another church, or I just won't go to church at all. Right? Because they're not dealing with stuff that's in their heart. But anyway, that's what was happening with them. They didn't end up killing Joseph. Genesis 37, 23 through 24, it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers. They stripped him of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on it. They took him and cast him to a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. I forgot to put the rest of it in there, but the bottom line is they saw Midianite traders coming, and they said, instead of killing them, let's just sell them to these people, and they took them down to Egypt. Okay? Why did they do that? Because what they saw on Joseph was not favor. What they saw was favoritism. And they responded in accordance to what they saw. Remember, what God put on Joseph Jacob saw it, and he blessed Joseph, and he uh, covered him with a multi-covered tunic. The brothers saw favoritism, and instead of blessing Joseph, they strove to hurt Joseph, right? So he goes down to Egypt, and now I want to look at what did Potiphar see whenever Joseph came into his life. The Bible says in Genesis 39, 3 through 6, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight. Because his master saw the Lord was with him, so he found favor in his sight, and he served him. And then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. And so it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that Potiphar had in his house and in the field, because Joseph was put over that. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hands, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and that's another topic for another sermon. We'll get into that some other time. But bottom line is, Potiphar, who is the Egyptian military commander, bought Joseph. Unlike the brothers of Joseph, he saw something different on Joseph. And his vision was not clouded by envy, jealousy, hatred. And so when he looked at Joseph, he saw the favor of God that was on his life. And as a result, he put Joseph in charge of his household. And because he put him in charge of his household and the favor of God was on Joseph's life, God blessed his household. You hear what I'm saying? 1 Samuel 16 and 7, very important scripture, what we're talking about today. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. He's talking about Saul. For the Lord does not see as man sees. No, he's talking about David's brother. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He was teaching Samuel, a prophet, how to see. Because Saul, who the Bible says was the first king of Israel, uh, was taller and, uh, and uh, he looked the part more than anybody else. 
And so when Saul disobeyed God and God said, I'm going to put another king in there, he sent Samuel to anoint another king. He sent him to a, a, a household uh, by the name of Jesse was the father. And uh, Jesse brought all his children in except one. And he began to parade all his children before the prophet because the prophet had said, I need to go to your household. And they kind of knew he's going to anoint somebody from his household to be the next king. And so he takes the oldest, and he looks just like Saul. Strapping, big, tall. He looks like a king. And Samuel says, this is probably the one. And that's when God breaks in and says, don't look at his outward appearance. Because God doesn't look at the outward appearance. What does God look at? The heart. You know what sometimes we fall prey to? We fall prey to looking at the outward appearance. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. Sometimes we've been in church not too long. Sometimes we've been in church a long time. But what we need to keep doing is allowing the Lord to put balm and salve over our eyes so that we don't see as the world sees. We don't see as, as we're the natural things of, of life. But we learn to see like God sees. And sometimes we really have to have the vision of God because there is, I believe, treasure in, remember that guy talked about the treasure that was hidden in the field? There is treasure in everyone, but some people is covered over by a lot more dirt than others. But we have to have eyes to see not what they are on the outside, but what God destined them to be on the inside. And when you can see with the eyes of God, then it doesn't matter. You've got to realize Joseph to the Egyptian was a slave. Slaves were not the same as Egyptians. They were second-class citizens. They were like possessions. But Potiphar, who is not a child of God, not part of the people of God, somehow he sees something on Joseph, and it didn't matter where Joseph came from, he saw something better in him, he saw a gift in him, he saw something else in him, so he must have seen that responsibility that was on his life as well, because he put him in charge of his whole household. Why did he do that? Because he had eyes to see. It reminds me of the story in the New Testament where there was a Gentile, and when I talk about Gentile, I'm, not, I'm talking about a non-Israelite. When I say non-Israelite, he wasn't part of the people of God. All right? Jesus came into his own. He came into his own people, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, who he had a covenant with, and it says in the book of John, and his own received him not. Right? They didn't recognize him for who he was. They didn't embrace him as being the Messiah that was to come. But a Gentile here, not one of God's people, saw something in Jesus. And because he saw something in Jesus, he received something that many people around him of his own people did not. He received a healing for his servant, unlike the many of the Jewish leaders who were envious of Jesus and wanted to kill Jesus. Matthew 8, 8 through 13 says the centurion, and a centurion was a Roman officer. Being a Roman, he wasn't an Israelite, he was a Gentile. But also, there were many Gentiles who were uh, benefactors to the Jewish people because they liked the Jewish religion. They were, they, they, they were pursuers of the Jewish God, even though they weren't a part of the people of God and didn't want to go that, that final step of becoming Jewish because back then, if you were going to be a follower of God in the Jewish mindset, you had to be Jewish. So the centurion answered and said, Lord, when it, well, he had a servant. Let me give you the, 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 the background. He had a servant who was sick, and he had a servant who was sick, and so he didn't want to trouble 
uh, uh, Jesus because he knew he was a Gentile and Gentiles aren't really supposed to associate with Jews. Uh, uh, that being the case, he sent Jewish leaders and the reason they wanted to do this for the centurion was because the centurion had built them a synagogue. And he sent these Jewish leaders to Jesus, not because he considered himself more pious than Jesus, but because he, he didn't consider himself worthy for Jesus to come into his home. But he really had a servant that he cared for, and he wanted that servant to be made well. And so when he heard Jesus was coming, the centurion sent these people to talk to Jesus, and the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. This is another uh, passage where the centurion is actually said of himself to go to Jesus himself. He said, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. What is he saying? The authority that I carry, I see on you. How did he see that? He wasn't looking with natural eyes. He was observing that Jesus had authority in the spiritual realm, and he likened the authority that Jesus had to the authority that he himself had being a commander over 100 soldiers. And he said, only speak a word and my servant will be healed because I also am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, not even among my people. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And can I say that our church today is because of this pronouncement that Jesus made, our church, we as people of God, is in existence today. We have a relationship with God because we didn't have to be Jewish to be saved. We just had to believe. We had to see something in Jesus that other people in this day were not seeing. We had to see him for who he is. He, he was God that became flesh. He was born, and this is a wonderful thing about God. He didn't come in a palace. He didn't come sitting on a throne. He actually showed up to a lowly uh, uh, woman, a virgin, and he was born in a manger, and, and uh, he was born in, in, in a barn where all the animals were, but that didn't stop people from recognizing who he was. Heaven knew who he was. The people from other, actually the man were from Babylon. They were from outside of the people of God. They knew who he was. Shepherds, which in those days were not necessarily the most uh, uh, um, prolific. No, it's, they were prolific. It wasn't the most prestigious profession at the time. They were actually looked down upon by the rest of the people. They heard who Jesus was, but the kings and the people in authority, they didn't recognize him. Anyway, this Gentile saw something on Jesus that the other people of the day did not. And because of that, the Bible says, uh, this, uh, because of that, we're here today. But let me go on with the rest of the scripture. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, I can put it this way, as you have seen, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Hebrews 11 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It doesn't mean you don't see. It just means you see something beyond the natural. You perceive something beyond the natural. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We Christians, those who know Christ, we walk by faith, not by 
sight. So what's it saying? Now, we don't walk with our eyes closed. What we're saying is that we walk according to the truth that God reveals to us by his word, through his word, what he speaks to us. We believe what God says, whether anything around us looks like it matches what God says or not. I told you last week that the thing that blew me away when I was preaching on on the the exodus is that God told Moses before he ever went into Egypt he told him I'm going to bring my people out and you're going to worship at this mountain and you're going to uh, serve me now you got to realize okay that's one thing but you're talking about I'm going to deliver a nation from the most powerful nation on the planet which Egypt was I'm going to deliver a nation of slaves by my great power and Moses I'm not sending you with an army I'm not sending you as a delegate. I'm sending you as my ambassador. It's going to be you and me. And because you, you need more, I'm going to send you with your brother. And you and me and Aaron, obviously it was the Lord, we're going to deliver a nation from the most powerful nation on the planet and bring them to a land of milk and honey and I'm going to give them that land of their own. And can you imagine from the beginning when he's speaking to Moses, most of us would have said, how? It's impossible. There's no way. But faith believes God. Faith sees God for who he is. It's not what I can do. It's what God can do. And if God says it, faith trusts that God's word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. I don't know how it's going to happen. I can't figure it out. But if God says it, I believe him. How you see determines how you behave. And how you behave in keeping with what you see determines what you will in turn see. If you believe that God is a healer and you see in Christ the promise of healing, that he will do this on your life, then you can pursue God for healing. And if you believe that God's a healer, you will see a manifestation of healing in your life. But if you don't believe that God can heal today, you might believe in God as Savior, but if you don't believe that God is a healer, you won't in turn believe God for healing because you don't see that on his life. You don't see that truth and that reality about who he is. You're not going to pursue it, and if you don't pursue it, you're not going to experience it. I, listen, I, I love... Uh, remember, preach the truth in love. <laughs> I'm reminding myself. I hear people say all the time today, I'm open to this. Being open to something doesn't mean that you have faith. Faith is different than openness. Openness is good. It's not wrong to be open about something. We like that. But openness is not equate to faith. What is faith? Faith is believing. If God wants to do it, I'm open to him doing it. No, faith is like the woman that had the issue of blood. I know that Jesus is doing this. I've heard the reports of what Jesus is doing. I, 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 I've got no hope in my life, but somehow I know that if I can just touch the hem of his garment, uh, I'm going to be healed. And so faith says, I'm going to do what I need to do in keeping with what I see on Jesus' life to get close to him, to touch him, because I know if I can touch him, I will be healed. That's a whole lot different than being open. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, what does the brothers see? What does Potiphar see? Last one, what does Pharaoh see? Genesis 41, 37 through 43. Uh, Joseph had been in Egypt. Uh, he had been uh, maligned, uh, falsely accused. Uh, Pharaoh 
uh, I mean, Potiphar, whose servant he was, was kind of upset about that, uh, as you might think, because his wife accused him of trying to, to, uh, to uh, take advantage of her. It wasn't true. I believe Potiphar knew it wasn't true. Why do you do that? Because he was a servant, and most servants of that day, if they were accused of that, they'd just kill him. But he didn't just put him in prison. He put him in the prison for Pharaoh's officers. Why? Because his, his hands were tied. It's kind of like Potiphar, uh, whenever John the Baptist was, uh, was uh, you know, uh, his, his daughter was dancing before Herod. It's kind of like Herod when his daughter was dancing before him. He says, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And she says, uh, she goes and talks to his mother, uh, uh, who his mother, when he, she, he, uh, when he made that request, he, she didn't know what to ask for. She goes and talks, says, what else should I ask for to his mother? His mother hated John the Baptist. She said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And she came to him and said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And when he looked around, he realized he was kind of in a pickle. There's nothing he could do about it. He, he had his head chopped off. I believe that's the situation Potiphar was in. His wife was accusing him. He couldn't demean his wife, couldn't shame his wife. But at the same time, he knew that he couldn't kill Joseph because he was a righteous man, so he put him in prison. While he was in prison, the favor of God that was on his life, the keeper of the prison saw it on Joseph too and put him in charge of the whole prison. Prison ran better than it ever ran. Why? Because there was favor on Joseph's life. And God blessed Joseph. And when God blessed Joseph, he blessed everything under his care. That is a principle, by the way, of Scripture. That's why it's important that you have righteous leadership. Because the blessings of God flow from the top down. You may not like that, but it's biblical. It's how God works, right? You see, we, we grew up in a in a democratic society, so we believe everyone, and God loves all of us, but we believe everyone is the same. But in the kingdom of God, everyone is not the same. God puts different favor on different people, and we have to learn how to come into relationship and covenant with those people, and when that favor on their life, uh, we become in a relationship with them, that favor on their life has the opportunity to, become, to come on our life. That's why Paul was able to, able to say, I want to preach at your church to the Romans. I want, to, I want, to, I want to, to, to be with you guys. I want to preach to you guys. And I want to have, be able to impart into you some spiritual gift. Paul carried something. It wasn't just knowledge. It wasn't just the word. He carried something that if they were in right relationship with him, he, what he carried could be imparted to them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay, so anyway, uh, Joseph was being uh, 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 blessed in the prison. He was in the prison for a couple of years. He interpreted somebody's dreams while he was in the prison. Uh, the, the, what he, the interpretations he gave to the butler and the cupbearer, who also were in Pharaoh's uh, 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 service, came to pass. One of them was promoted, like Joseph had said. One of them was killed, like Joseph had said. And he tells the, 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 uh, the cupbearer, he said, when you get to that position, uh, while he was interpreting the dreams that God's going to do in your life. In three days, you're going to be put back in your position. Remember me, because I'm here falsely. My brother sent me to jail, and, you know, all this stuff happened. So he gets back to where he's supposed to be, and the Bible says he forgets about Joseph. Now, again, topic for another message, I believe that God said, Joseph, you're not ready yet. The reason why is because he was using the gift of the dream uh, interpretation to further his own benefit and his own welfare. In other words, I'll do something good for you, now you do something good for me. And God said, no, you still don't understand the kingdom. It's not about what other people can do for you. It's about what you will do for other people, whether they do something for you or not. You understand? That's what it means to be mature in Christ. 
It's not about reciprocation. Now, if it works right, we will be reciprocated. Give and it shall be given unto you. But that works for good as well as for evil. If you give unforgiveness, if you give judgment, what's going to come back to you? If you give mercy, if you sow love, what's going to come back to you? Right? And so as you continue to do good for others, whether they do good for you or not, in the end, it will be a blessing to you, whether on this planet or in the heavenly realm. Give, and it shall be given unto you. God will bless you in some way or another, but not because other people will bless you. You don't do it for that reason. You do it because out of love for God, he gave his life for you, and you're willing to give your life for the kingdom. But anyway, we get to Pharaoh. So anyway, uh, Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can interpret it. Now God is setting things up. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer remembers, oh, man, there was a guy in prison who interpreted my dream. It happened just like he said. All right? And so Joseph comes up. And when he comes up, the Bible says, uh, you know, Hebrews have beards. And they have uh, so, uh, the, the people in jail, they have certain ways of dressing. And so when he was called before Pharaoh, the Bible says they shaved him and they dressed him. And uh, so what does that mean? That means that uh, if you're going to stand in the presence of an Egyptian, you got to look like an Egyptian. you got to walk like an Egyptian, right? you you got to be a part of their culture. Paul says, I'm a Jew to the Jew. I'm a Gentile to the Gentile, right? we got to go in under that umbrella. He went in looking like an Egyptian. He didn't go in looking like a Hebrew. It was obviously he was a Hebrew, but he went in looking like the place he was going to be. And while he was there, Pharaoh tells him his dream. He says, this is what's going to happen. And when this happens, there's going to be seven years of famine, and, I mean, blessings, and then seven years of famine. And then Pharaoh, uh, 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 once he interpreted the dream, he says, this is what I would do. He's not saying, hey, look, I interpreted your dream, now do this for me. He says, this is what I would do. I would find a man. He wasn't thinking of himself at all. He'd been in prison long enough. Figured it out. When I try to do something good for me, it doesn't work. When I try to do something good for other people, it works. So he said, this is what I would do. I would find a man, because there's going to be, uh, in whom is a spirit of wisdom, and because there's going to be seven years of blessing, I would take the blessings that's coming, I would put them aside, I would save them for the seven years of famine that were coming. Right? And so he doesn't say, but now when this happens, remember me. He just leaves it there. He remembered two years ago, Genesis 41, 37 through 43. The advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, now notice it wasn't Joseph saying that, it was Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Pharaoh sees something on Joseph. How does he see it? By how he behaves and by what he hear what I'm saying? And then he says, uh, the Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there was no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck, and he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee, and so he set him over all the land 
of Egypt. So Pharaoh, when Joseph interpreted his dreams, saw favor and wisdom on Joseph's life, and as a result, he put Joseph in charge of Egypt, and because he did, Egypt, as well as Israel, would be delivered from a seven-year famine that would come in the next seven years. They would be delivered, and they would come through it without uh, uh, losing a great loss of life. But it was all because of what Pharaoh saw on Joseph's life. Are you, I have a point to this. What do you see? Joseph is a type of Christ who was sent to Egypt to preserve the lives of his brethren. In the same way, Christ was sent into the world to go before his brethren to preserve their lives from death. This is who he is, but not everyone sees him that way. Some people see him as a thief and a robber and a blasphemer who died a cruel death because of the error of his ways. Yet many others see him as the Messiah of Israel who came to save the lives of people from their true taskmaster, the enemy of their souls, and free them from bondage to sin, sickness, and death, preserving them for life everlasting as he reconciles them to God. Still others see more than this. They see him as having died, buried, rose again, seated at the right hand of the Father, whose desire is not just that people would get to heaven, but that heaven through his people would come here. That the kingdom of God would not just be something for the far and beyond for the eternal life, but the kingdom of God, like Jesus made it relevant in his day, would be relevant to the people of this world. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, uh, when you die, take me to heaven. How many of y'all know he didn't say that? He said, when you pray, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you're going to know what God wants to happen in heaven, uh, on earth, you've got to be able to see what's happening in heaven. You have to have eyes to see. You have to have ears to here, Jesus said, I say what I hear my father saying, and I do what I see my father doing. Right? If you only see Jesus as a Savior who's come to take you out of this world, that's what you're going to live like, and that's what you're going to get. But if you see Jesus who said, as you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world, the works that I do, greater works than these shall you do. You shall receive the Spirit, uh, and, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts of the earth. If you see Jesus that way, then you're going to act in conformity to what you see. And acting in conformity to what you see, you're going to receive something far different than somebody sees, that sees differently. It all depends on what you see. What you see in him determines what you do, and what you do will determine what you receive. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-24, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now what does it mean to believe? You see something. You don't just see foolishness. You see in Christ the wisdom of God, the Savior of God, the Messiah of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. John 1, 11 through 13. He came to his own. I mentioned this before, and his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. 
to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. So, to conclude, to finish this up, what people saw in Joseph determined how they acted and what they were able to receive from him. Similarly, how you see Jesus how, and how you in turn respond towards him also determines what you will receive. Matthew 10, 40 through 42. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Well, I don't believe in prophets. Well, if you don't believe in prophets, you're not going to get a prophecy. Right? Because if somebody tries to prophesy to you and you don't believe in prophets, you're going to call them, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, as, a, as a heretic or a hypocrite or not a Christian because you don't believe in that. And the person that is a prophet, they might see that on you and they're not going to be foolish enough to prophesy over you. What you see determines what you receive. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. He who gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. As I said before, what do you see in Jesus? If you see him just as a savior, you're going to live that way and that's all you're going to receive is salvation. I'm not saying, I'm not minimizing that. I'm not in any way saying that that's lesser, but salvation is not the end of your life, it's the beginning. He also said, I'm Jehovah Jireh, the Lord your provider. He also said, I'm Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your, your healer. He also said, I'm Jehovah Shalom, the Lord your peace. I'm Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord your righteousness. I'm Jehovah Nitzi, the Lord your banner. But if you don't believe he's that for your life, you're going to live life in keeping with what you see, which is not that, and you're going to get what you believe. But if you believe that he has the power and is willing, like a leper, if you are willing, you can make me heal, whole. Jesus said, hey, great surprise to you, I am willing. And I want you to know that God is just as willing to intervene in your life. I don't know what you're going through. I want you to know that, yes, God is a Savior. And if you need salvation today, He will save you. But I also want you to know that He's a healer. And not just a healer of bodies. I want you, whatever you're going through, we've seen people healed of cancer. We've been seen, seen people healed of all sorts of different things. Not because we can heal them. We can't. But the God who lives in us wants to. And if we believe, the Bible says, if you can agree about anything in, in His name, it shall be done. It's his desire. It's his will. We believe that. And because we believe that, we act in accordance with that. And because we act in accordance with that, we see it happen. We believe that God's a restorer of marriages. We believe that God's a, 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 a you, he heals the deaf. Uh, I mean, he uh, uh, causes the, the deaf to hear, the blind to see, the, the lame to walk, uh, uh, the, the, the lepers to be cleansed. Whatever you're going through, your marriages and, and the rocks, God can heal and restore your marriage. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you see that in Christ? Do you see him as being able to do that? Do you see him as wanting to do that? You're going to act in accordance with what you believe, and in accordance with what you believe and how you act, you're going to receive. Luke 23, last scripture, 39 through 43. Bible says, One of the criminals who were hanged uh, uh, with Jesus was blaspheming him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Because he had a different response. He saw something different on Jesus. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
What you see determines how you behave, and how you behave determines what you receive. The question then becomes about Jesus. What do you see? Hence the title of this message. What do you see?